1: This is Conspira Normal.
2: Well okay. We are here on Conspira Normal. I'm start we're we're starting. Um that is Rob's fate. You know
3: who. You know who's here when
2: you hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys. Yeah. Well, it, he, he's he's been with us. If you're a Patreon, you've already heard Rob come back on the show two or three times yes. now. But Rob's returning for the for the main feed. Rob is back for for this episode at least, and uh, welcome back, Rob, to to the Thanks. show, man.
4: <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it is good to be back. It's been, it's been, I missed you guys. Hell yeah. dope,
2: don't, man. We, we missed you too, man. It's, it's a bro moment, you know?
4: You know, life got crazy for a while, but you know, now it's, now it's back to just playing in my wood shop and chatting to you guys once a week, <laughs> my whole life.
2: <laughs> well, that's hell good. Yeah. That's good. You know, you, you're, you're at home, you're safe everybody's safe and sound and we've also got we've also got uh another guest on the line that you guys have heard on patreon it was on our 300th episode and that's joel what's up joel howdy
5: how's everyone? joel and uh, this is joel and uh i got my buddy chris bird here with me uh and we have a band called great grandson together and uh yeah we're, we're happy to be here
3: it's a pleasure yeah man yeah thanks and if and if you've been subscribing to our Patreon, then you've heard one of Joel's songs already. He's been doing some paranormal songwriting uh inspired by conspiranormal shows.
2: Yeah, we got the Pitter Pat people. That's right. And now we've got uh, the Sex Magic song is up there too, so
5: Hell yeah. Which
2: is a little bit little bit of a slow little bit of a slow jam. Hey.
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it is a slow jam. It's for witches and warlocks to get, get jiggy with. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so,
2: uh, so we tonight, guys, we're going to be talking about music. And this was an idea that Serfiel had that we were going to talk about kind of music and the paranormal. And we're going to talk about conspiracy theories dealing with music. But we're not going to do all that tonight. So this yes. is probably going to be at least a two-part series, maybe a three-part series. These these things can get away from you because I know Soraya on Where Did the Road Go did a UFO history series with Mike Holland and Aaron Gullius and that uh, ended up, I think he only was going to do like one part and that ended up being like a 13-episode <laughs> series eventually. <laughs> so we Old never know. What, yeah, we never know where this could, where this could go. But uh, this is kind of like we're we're doing the series on music and the paranormal, and so, Sergio, you had this idea to do this, and kind of like, what uh, what was your thought processes in in kind of wanting to do something like this?
3: Well, doing that show with Joel really inspired me to want to kind of explore this stuff, and and it's great to have you guys on here because we are kind of like the stereotype of like Nashville music dudes. Pretty much, you know, the way that if you grew up here, you grew up or the type of people that it, that Nashville attracts, uh, you know, not just country music, but just music industry people. People who make their own music or in all kinds of stuff. That's just pretty much like our lifestyle. And there's a big intersection with the paranormal and the supernatural or spirituality, whatever you want to call it, the other and music. So I really wanted to just get. Some like minds together and kind of talk about the history of the stuff and uh, maybe our own experiences and our own lives and how, uh, you know, music is so central to our lives, but it's been so central to the history of mankind. And there's been this this element to it that carries on till today.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and I kind of fit multiple national stereotypes because I'm also a preacher's kid. (laughs) uh, right right nashville Nashville is known as the buckle of the bible belt to a lot of people and uh that's kind of where i learned all about music is in the church and uh from an early age i was able to you know notice a lot of uh strange spiritual connections to just music itself and uh it is the reason why i think i kind of clung to my Faith, As long as I did was because of uh, just the impact that the music in church settings had on me at an early age. Uh, I kind of walked away from dogmatic religion in my early 20s. I'm, I'm 41 now, but um, but I'm really thankful for the, the way that church life introduced me to just what a powerful force music can be.
4: Yeah, I would agree 100% with all of that. Very similar to my, my kind of timeline, growing up in church and you know being involved in choir and various music programs, and just seeing the effect on people that it has. you know you, you get to that first hymn or whatever, and everyone's well, Lutheran church, I don't know other churches how how things roll or whatever, but you know everyone stands up and sings a song and it just changes the whole vibe, the whole setting, the connectedness of everybody, and it's a, it's a powerful kind of a feeling.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've even like, heard lots of people say over the course of my life that they weren't actually believers in the faith or, and that they tuned out during sermons, but they showed up every week to church just to experience like the music of it, which was fascinating to me because I always thought, mm. even though I recognized the power that there is when a bunch of people all sing in one accord for uh, a, a common purpose, I thought a lot of the music in church was pretty lame. I was like a <laughs> kind of a punk rock kid, but uh there would be people that I would meet who would just say like something about experiencing that the choir vibe or a room of people just singing together that would just give them goosebumps and that's why they would show up every week.
4: Yeah, and I'm curious like I <clears throat> wish there was a way to kind of quantify how much of it is you know, how much of that feeling comes from getting a big group of people together that share a belief and how much comes from just the way music affects us in general, too. Yeah. You know, because I'm sure it's a combination of the two.
5: Seven or eight years ago, I sang in Les Miserables, um, a local performance, not like a traveling big performance of it, but, you know, I experienced the same thing. I was surrounded by incredible vocalists and we were all singing at the top of our lungs and none of the material is religious, but it, it definitely made me feel so similar to how I remember feeling in church when we'd all just be belting it out together. And, uh, but the, the, the research that I've done for this show specifically has been so fascinating to just read about, um, just the idea of frequency and, and certain tones. And when people are like combining the voice and the resonance of it and how cathedrals and, sanctuaries are oftentimes designed for like to increase certain properties of the resonance of of music and sound um it's it's really it's wild how it can like actually affect us physiologically
2: I, i think that i've never really thought about just how important music is to not just like a church service but to like any kind of like ritual really like music is like the most probably the most integral part of that, of of any kind of like any kind of like religious ceremony, any kind of religious religious
4: ritual, or even even non spiritual gatherings in general.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, if you get yeah. if you if you're in a room
4: with like six or more people and there's not something else that you're supposed to be paying attention to and listening to, if there's not music, it just feels weird. Right. You know? like, Right.
3: That's a good point. And, That's a good point. And all this all this popular music has its roots you know american popular music has its roots in the church music i mean absolutely there's no doubt about it without gospel and black gospel like so much of this music would not exist period i mean just just all the fundamentals of it
5: yeah it's it's pretty wild just the pervasiveness of the influence of music in terms of it transcending even like racism and levels of, of people like not wanting aspects of a certain culture in their life but yet the music always prevails like from my research it seems like probably the the earliest forms of music were developed in africa and in india and it was around um the cooking um that the women who would be cooking the meals would be smashing uh nuts and stuff in a cauldron and it would create a rhythm they would have like four ladies around the cauldron smashing the, the shea nuts. Um, and it would, they would take turns striking the nuts with these big mallets and it would create a rhythm. And then the older women and the children around while the men were out hunting, um, started developing games around that rhythm where they would start clapping their hands along with the rhythm of these mallets, smashing these nuts. And, uh, and it's almost like rap might've been like the first type of music actually, (laughs) where <laughs> these ladies in Africa were... Well, let us I mean, let's shea-nuts. talk about it.
3: Like, yeah.
5: And and they would, and the kids and the and the old women around who were too old to to actually be up on their feet doing the work would start tapping their feet and clapping their hands along with the rhythm of these mallets, smashing the shea nuts. And then over time, they started doing storytelling and teaching the children their lessons while the food was being prepared. And so they would start developing these rhythmic chants along with the... Um, the rhythm of of the different aspects of preparing the meal and let's,
2: well, let's, let's talk about i
3: mean how far back does it go i mean does it is that you know it, it does this go back to i mean it definitely goes back to the dawn of man but is it even oh, yeah. further than that is it before language i mean because animals dance birds sing you know did this start with us imitating animals um, yeah, I think so. Call and response so. is, is important to to hunting and what the the men were doing too. So, you know, this this may be one of the first abstractions. You know, like I know I know when we or you were talking Joel about like the stoned ape theory and things like that. Like music may have predated uh-huh. art on a cave wall, or or languages we know it itself. Well,
5: interestingly enough, it seems like at least the the oldest musical instrument found by archaeologists so far dates back about 45,000 years ago and it was a a flute with just like one or two holes in it that was made out of a bear's a bone from a bear and Hmm. uh and that's right around the same time that a lot of those cave paintings the oldest cave paintings in france and stuff are dated to
2: yeah i'd say that's about roughly yeah i think so
5: me that lends even more credence to the Stone Date theory that there was probably some sort of substance that early hominid came across and ingested, um, that kind of opened oh, yeah. up the idea of imagination and thinking a little bit more abstractly about the patterns that he, the human brain tends to and uh, and so that like kicking off of visual art and kicking off of making sounds that follow patterns could both be the result of some sort of psychedelic experience.
2: Well, wouldn't the two kind of go together in a way, because wouldn't you have, if we're talking, because I, I remember hearing some things about the Lasso cave paintings and what was going on there and that these were part of some, that these could have been part of some kind of shamanic ritual. Um, many people have said that. So in that, Case would you had you would have had the art on the wall and you probably would have had some kind of musical accompaniment within the ritual. You would almost think right. that that would just be natural.
4: Well, well I, I think, think language and
3: music.
4: I think so language and music probably evolved animals. together along the same time too.
3: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> or you know, or language. It could have been music first with these kind of imitative sounds, or or just patterns it
4: was sort of right and you know various um you know inflections or melodic stuff in your voice that that we're we're kind of attuned, more attuned to now i think sort of evolved along um a path along with music you know like you've got like if you're talking like interval theory you've got you know minor thirds and major thirds. And for some reason, one sounds sad to us, one sounds happy to us. And there's got to be some underlying reason for, for why our brains interpret these um, harmonies in certain ways. You know what I mean? I think that, that probably, that has got to reach back to the beginnings of language, which would also be the beginnings of, you know, our exposure to music as well.
1: Well then at the same
3: time in those caves, you have, um, burial the first burial so that starts connecting music to something that makes it different from animals which is the in humans uh, music has all these practical applications but it's tied up in the supernatural spirituality and in um you know the other whatever that is right and you know there was
5: one study that i read that I think it was about 10 or 12 years ago. I think it was from the University of York um, where they discovered that chimpanzees who prior to this study, it was thought didn't really have much pattern to the sounds that they made. Um, mm. There wasn't much pattern recognition. But in this particular study, they were able to discover that for warning signals of danger, yeah. that there was a very consistent vocalized sounds that they made in those circumstances found that it was it varied to if you were trying to warn someone that was part of your clan or I don't know what a group of chimpanzees is called but um they made a very specific sound if they were trying to warn those that were part of their family or their clan versus the sound they would make if they were trying to warn a stranger and that's really cool too because it showed these chimpanzees like if you're they if they were warning their family members consistently it sounded a certain way but then if there were other like a rival group of chimpanzees they didn't necessarily want the rival group to be killed by the poisonous snake either and so they would give a different <laughs> warning for them and it was and that warning was consistent for how it sounded and so that right. it kind of had a melody to it a slight melody to it um hmm. So that in that, that case, it would seem that that would predate actual language.
4: And that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. I think that, I think that it does, like in a lot of ways it does, cause there's, you know, there's just, there's certain inflections and in certain, you know, like, like in that, that example, certain melodies or certain, you know, um, even just, uh, uh, like pitches and stuff in general that that our brains naturally associate to, towards uh, certain certain emotions or certain like with them various different dangers and it I, and I don't think it's something that would be learned for them I think it's something that it seems more likely that it's like if you hear this then you just know instinctively to run you know it's not like they were all taught this is the melody you do to warn a neighboring tribe chimpanzee that there's a snake or you know what I mean it's just you know that that's what causes you to feel that so you know that you, that's what you got to project or whatever and share so, so in I think other words it's, it's, it's like an evolutionary instinctive kind of just emotional predisposition towards these various um frequency elements
2: so in other words you could have some kind of pre- Built-in instinctual—we could have our own kind of pre-built-in instinctual melodies that we've just used for for a long, long time.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look at it. everybody in the world hears a minor chord and thinks it sounds sad. Everybody in the world hears a major chord and thinks it sounds happy. It's not something that you're trained. It's just it's it's something that's been ingrained in us for who knows how long.
3: It's just visceral.
4: Yeah. Possibly hundreds. I mean, that's probably an ancient ancestor of. Homo sapiens that, that developed that, you know, which would obviously be, be long before spoken language. And
2: okay, so
5: there's a there, there, oddly. Go ahead, Joel. Oddly, that does that does line up with actually like the the lineage of like Greek mythology too, though, because like Apollo was like the instrument bringer within that belief system and it was all just instrumental music and it was actually Apollo's son who introduced who said oh hey dad you've given us the lyre and you've like shown us how to play this music but what if we put poetry to that music and so his son was supposedly the kind of brought to humanity um the idea of bringing language to the music
3: so yeah so it's, it's kind of cool so with that, that yeah so, without a strictly evolutionary perspective, the the other side would be then is it um, divinely inspired, whatever that means to you, and the fact that music has been seen as this gateway or bridge, no pun intended, to the divine, um, it's been used. You know in in devotion to to deity or supernatural fortune, forces in ritual and invocation since the dawn of man so at the same time that you have these abstractions we're talking about language and art and music you also have the development of 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 these spiritual system as well that's that's what really makes us human so like when did when did that begin and it seems like it's always been central to the spirituality of different peoples, to their rituals, uh, to the ways that they, they honor their gods. Well,
5: relatively speaking, it seems as to have happened like not too long after like, so that flute that was found out of the, the bare bone was like 45,000 years ago. And from what I read, it seemed like it was between 35,000 and 40,000 years ago that, Um, early humans started, like, uh, I guess, expressing some sort of belief of a desire to communicate with the invisible. And to me, it makes sense that, okay, like, going back to the stone date theory, it seems like you had hominid running around the planet for a couple hundred thousand years before that flute showed up and before the cave painting showed up, but those two things happened pretty simultaneously. And then within it was pretty a few fast after, within a few thousand years of that we start trying to communicate with the invisible so mm-hmm. at a certain point it kind of makes sense to me that yeah we we discovered something that sent our brains into the realm of imagination and i think it makes sense to me how psychedelics could potentially be that thing um but what's really fascinating to me is that we start off communicating with animals and about animals, but then at a certain point, a few thousand years into that process of evolution, communicating with the invisible in my mind likely had to do with like, okay, we've been trying to communicate with animals. What happens if we try to communicate with the sun or with storms and with lightning? And like, you know, you see the connections even with the Greek gods with, with the storms and lightning and nature and, the ocean and the waves. I feel like it was just an extension of communicating with an even more abstract part of nature um, than, than other animals and being like, okay, well, we've learned to, to do bird calls and we've learned to like right. do sounds that attract certain animals that we want to hunt. But now can we also use that same new technology within humanity to try to cause the storm to go away or to bring rain to us when we're experiencing drought? And so to me, that's a very natural connection to how religion could form around that and the divinity of music. So you're saying that
2: essentially like religion follows music, not the other way around.
5: I think so. I think, that's possible. Yeah. Right Interesting. I think we learn to huh. communicate with each other. Then we learn to communicate with other animals. And then we try to see if we can communicate with other things. And, uh, And somehow that does wind up getting connected to funeral, the funeral process,
3: like uh, the
5: death. Absolutely. Can we we communicate with our family members after they die? Does does the spirit live
3: on? And it's really death and rebirth, because what we see in the religious rituals and in the the people who were tied to the cycles of the land is that real concentration of death and rebirth. So you have all these... uh, Rituals with music that's essentially about uh, bringing new life into the world through sexuality. And then you have the closing of the years and the seasons and the death of the crops. And you you have that end of the cycle. So it, it really does. All these ancient religions really revolve around that. But music was really the way to communicate and to get people into it seems like a lot of this really centers on getting people into altered states that allows them to call forth or draw down or feel more in touch with the other side whatever that is
5: right and any of us who have done psychedelics i mean i've I've done quite a bit of them and uh <laughs> you know the first time anyone ever takes mushrooms or, or lsd you know, one of the first things they notice is how different stuff starts to sound Um, and how like you can hear a song that you've heard a thousand times. And all of a sudden it sounds like the first time you've ever heard it. And you notice all these different (laughs) things about it. So, I mean, I don't like 100% subscribe to the idea of stone date theory, but the more research I do anthropologically and about, you know, the the history of humanity uh, and trying to go back as far as I can, the puzzle pieces to me seem like they fit pretty well with that theory
2: i i am surprised that no one has taken that as a band name stoned ape, um,
5: or
2: no.
6: <laughs>
3: or <just> Stone ape. <laughs> either one <laughs> so okay there was something here that you sent me about, the, of course, the cycles of the season. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to it real quick uh, in a second. But I was just gonna say, like, all the other things that that the ritualistic element of music does. It also um, it it heals people. It's part of those ceremonies. It's a part of all of shamanistic journeys, and the the song itself is a is a metaphor for the journey. And so you just have all the. It, it's so embedded in ritual, and in altered states, in trances. I mean, we we can't even really think about trance without thinking about some kind of repetitive music that gets people into that.
5: Yeah, I mean, as far as the people of ancient times kind of responding to that sort of thing, I don't know, but I do know there's a lot more works for us now with the human brain and how, like, you've got, like, you know, the right brain is really focused on the big picture and on abstract thought, and that's why it's considered more the artistic side. And the left brain focuses more on intricate detail and nuance of, like, engineering and construction. Um, And there are some things that have to do with repetitive music that seems to, like, even in people who are predominantly left brained if they're exposed to repetition in music, it can put them in a state that, switches them from being left brain dominant to right brain dominant. And well, if you're not yeah, used to being right brain dominant, that can really open your mind up to a totally different way of perceiving life.
4: I think that's why I, I listen to music as an escape a lot of the time. Cause I do, I think I'm, 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 I overanalyze everything. I'm, I'm a very left brain focused type of guy, you know, and you know, if I, if, if I really need to escape music has always been that for me. Like it just, it shuts everything else in my head off and it opens my creative side and it, you know, and, uh, yeah, I I think that, I think,
3: is it because that, yeah, that repetition of time when time is really put into concrete form, I feel like it almost warps time itself, like the perception of time.
4: Well, that, and it also, I think it, it engages, um, various other emotional parts of your brain that just you know, in your in your daily kinda of doing your chores and going through doing the things you gotta do and stuff, kinda of, it just doesn't get activated the way that it should and I think you know, going we, back we, to we life... evolved Well we evolved in those kind of tri- tribal um lifestyles where where music was a lot more I mean, music is still a big part of our lives now, but it, not as ritualistically for for a lot of us. For me, in particular, because I don't, you know, I don't I don't go to church, so I don't have that weekly association with with music as a ritualistic kind of a thing. So well, I want you know, get to get into that later
3: because I feel like we really are, yeah. I feel like we are yeah, getting back sure. to. I feel like some of the elements pop music are putting us back to, and like you talked about earlier, um, this the group element. Like, and how when you were a kid in church, you saw like everyone kind of syncing up. I think that's one of the biggest parts of the ritualistic power, is that it really gets everyone synced up into the same time movement frame of mind.
5: One of you mentioned earlier, like, if you're in a group of more than however many people and there isn't music playing, it feels weird. And I think there's like an element of music being played and the repetition of a beat or whatever it can really set people at ease. And I feel like it kind of is a social lubricant in a way as well.
4: Yeah, where, absolutely. Oh we yeah.
5: Like, when you're focused on the nuance and the little details of your social interactions, it can become a very paranoid experience and it can feel kind of like scary, especially like I have a lot of social anxiety. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons early in life I was drawn to music because when music's going on, all of a sudden, when it, when it clicks people into being right brain dominant, all of a sudden they're more big picture focused and they're like, Oh, me miss miss saying that one word doesn't matter in the big picture. I don't have to feel insecure about that. We're all in this together. I think vibrating on the same frequency. All vibrating on the same frequency. So I think like music kind of like does what for some people like alcohol does. It lowers your inhibitions. It kind of makes you be like, Oh, everything's going to be okay. Even if that one thing I said was a little stupid and, uh, So in that regard, I feel like it does kind of put people in this more of an open-minded point of view.
4: Right. That's what I was saying. That's why I tend to do that towards the end of the day. Like, you know, as part of my wind down, you know, it's just a, it it opens you up. It lets you let go of all the daily responsibility stuff. It's, and I think it harkens back to that whole, um, uniting force that uh kind of relaxing that feeling connected to everything kind of a vibe you know what i mean where you're you're not on your own trying to trudge through everything and now all of a sudden you're 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 reconnected to the universe through you know just rhythm and abstract thought
6: i i just too and spirituality are both human attempts to reckon with that ineffable kind of void we all feel sometimes and it's kind of a way to yeah. find communion with a, with other people
4: absolutely
5: yeah i might like see in this like when i was thinking about the these african women preparing the meal and that rhythm of the mallets hitting the nuts and i just can kind of see this story unfolding in my mind of like there being maybe someone who wasn't the best storyteller in that group but sitting there and starting to feel that rhythm. And then all of a sudden, after like a few years of being used to that, hearing that rhythm, they kind of crawl out of their shell and they get over their insecurity and they tell some story or they decide to give a lesson to the children. And they do it in a way that makes the whole group say like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, you're usually really quiet. And I just can see that when we're exposed to that rhythm, And if it does click people into more of a right brain state of mind than humans had ever been in regularly up to that point, it would cause people to start expressing themselves in new and different ways. They could be like a game. There's also like all this research that shows that when people study with music on in the background, they retain the information they're studying better. So they start noticing also that giving the children of the tribe, these lessons while the, the rhythm is beating on the, you know, on these shea nuts in the background, that the children are actually learning the lessons that much better. It could very quickly turn into a fixture of society.
3: Yeah, and the and the recitation of holy texts has been a way to preserve them and and help with memorization uh, in uh, in the Vedas, in Islam, in ancient Judaism, and in Christianity. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to get Adam to read something I sent. Hope everyone's got a little chance to look at it. But I found this um, this article from the the Musical Quarterly in 1922 by someone named Clement um, Antrobus Harris, and I wanted Adam to, to read some of it because I think it kind of it sums up all these kind of ideas of music being a part of the other or the divine
2: interesting name Antrobus. by the way never heard that one before (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so on the divine origin of musical instruments and myths and scriptures so to a musician there is only one alternative to believing that music is of divine origin and that is to believe that nothing is It comes as such an one as a matter of course that poets, philosophers, and theologians in all ages and parts of the world should have spoken of music as the divine art, religions handmade, the voice of God to the soul, herald of life to be, the speech of angels, nay more the speech of God himself, and sphere descended made to give in the words of Collins, whoever that is, an idea to be found in the works of many. If not, indeed, most poets, among those who have ears to hear such passages as the following are but the apt expression of a truism. It is by the odes that the mind is aroused. It is by the rules of propriety that the character is established. It is from music that the finish is received. I want another harmony to be used by him when he is seeking to persuade God by prayer. Rhythm and harmony find their way into the secret places of the soul. Plato's Republic. Let us hear a strain of music, and we are at once advertised of a life which no man has told us of. Thoreau, away, away, thou music, speakest to me of things which all my endless life I have not found and shall not find. John paul Richter. The master puts into music the thoughts which no words can utter and the description which no tongue can tell. S.A. Barnett. Music is a power... Transcending all other means of expression of ideas and of listening what is most elevating in thought and feeling, Arthur Watson. The same idea is conspicuous in mythology, Egyptian, Greek, and Scandinavian. The sons and daughters of the Nile regarded several of their many gods especially interested in music. Their temple chants, they attributed to the goddess Isis. The Egyptian menoros, or funeral chants, are believed to be the oldest music in existence. Osiris also was looked upon as a patron deity of song. In many representations, he is accompanied by the nine female singers whom the Greeks subsequently transformed into the nine muses, just as they transformed Osiris into Phoebus Apollo. Among 42 priestly books assumed to be the work of the god Thoth, there are two books of the singer. The god Bess, probably a foreign divinity borrowed from Babylonia or Arabia, was honored as presiding especially over dancing, music, and the cosmic art. That is, apparently music on its more secular side. The Hellenic peoples personified music in Apollo, who learnt his art from the universal god Pan, and they attributed to it a miraculous power over the forces of nature. The Scalds held modern and Christian nations... The scholars held that their music was the gift of Odin or Woden. Among more modern and Christian nations, the nearest approach I can find towards claiming a divine orig- origin for specific melodies is in regard to the ancient chanson's Gregorian or plain song. If it is not expressly stated that these liturgical strains were made in heaven, the language used in regard to them, for instance, in the preface of the altar hymnal certainly implies something more than a merely human authorship. Nor can it be denied that the intensely devotional beauty of at least some examples, for instance, the traditional music to the sorsum Corda smooths the way to such a belief. The church historian so- the church historian Socrates, writing about A.D. four forty, relates that in a vision Saint Ignatius saw the Trinity in alternate chants, and the venerable father was so impressed with the method that he introduced antiphonal singing into the church at Antioch. This must have been, of course, about the end of the first century. Thus a divine origin is claimed for the antiphony of the the Christian church, if not for that of the Jewish, of the singing in which antiphony was a marked characteristic. It cannot, however, but strike a musician as strange that Ignatius should have recorded the method in which the celestial choir sang and not the music itself. Perhaps he was not musician enough to notice or be able to retain and record technical details. Even if he was... One of the strangest things about dreams and perhaps visions <clears throat> is the vividness on which one waking, one recalls some particulars, often trifling, and the impossibility of recalling others. More probably, we are intended to understand that the heavenly music transcended anything possible to human voices or systems of notation. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah,
3: I thought, yeah, I thought that was really cool. You guys got any thoughts on that?
5: I read that earlier when you sent it and I was like, man, this is like one of the best like comprehensive like statements about everything that I've been studying for the last two days, right there, all in one spot.
3: (laughs) It's only, it was only a Google search away, man. But it's true. It's like, like almost every ancient culture
5: on the planet seems to have regarded music as the divine art. And it stood out, um, from all of the other types of expression and right. uh i mean whether it's you know the the hindu and buddhist like approaches to om and how that mm-hmm. the word om is like there are two versions of it om and Aum, and the idea that that is the sound of 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 god creating the universe
3: you have shiva's and, dance uh, which brings the universe yeah. and bring brings movement into existence and then you've got like in the bible alone there. are I
5: think, almost 1,200 verses in the Bible that mention music. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And you've got, like, you know, just, like, every culture. Every culture, it it is a universal language. It's, like, uh, and it's connected to mathematics, and that's where you got Pythagoras kind of being, like, wait a minute here. (laughs) Like, this is beyond just art. This is, like, uh, it's beyond just communication between humans. This is a system, some sort of system. Right. and the reason why I think it's kind of connected so well to religion in so many ways is because it's so systematic that it kind of laughs in the face at the idea that the universe is built on chaos. It kind of like right. kind of hints in this really cool abstract artistic way that there's something that's designing the program.
3: That idea of, of harmony, of of re- relations and correspondence. Um and and you know being we we definitely can't escape our western orientation so that's like the combination of the biblical or abrahamic traditions and then also the classical pagan stuff from from roman greece and of course all of those mythologies are filled with are filled with music absolutely the first book of the bible
5: i mean the first sentence in the bible is talks about god's voice God's voice creating light. So to me, that's pretty freaking amazing that you've got that long ago in these times that we think of as like super primitive, you've got the first thing written in this holy text um, that indicates an understanding of quantum physics that the universe is made out of vibration and light.
2: Well, I want to add too that the... The Psalms and I think possibly the proverbs. I mean they're they're meant to be sung, correct?
5: Yeah, Song of Solomon was, was the first quiet storm radio show, man. It was first slow jam. It is a book of nothing but sexy slow jams.
2: <laughs> it is that, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's one of my favorite things about music too, is that you know, you can break it down mathematically as far as you want, but you can't it still doesn't explain the emotions that it evokes and the feelings that it evokes in us. And it kind of turns into like a a chicken and the egg thing. Like, you know, do do we feel that way because there's some spiritual thing that's making us feel that way? Or do we feel that way? Or do we feel it's a spiritual thing because it's something that's ingrained in us that we're supposed to, you know, we're instinctively feel a certain way. But there's no denying that, it's stronger in bigger groups and that it's, it's stronger in certain environments and it's, you know, pervasive to to everybody on the planet.
5: Oh yeah. And it's, it's legit because I was kind of a, a late bloomer when it came to like experimenting with drugs or alcohol of any kind. I was, I was pretty like uh, straight laced and goody two shoes and, you know, I was a worship leader and was in a Christian like an um, experimental band in high school. And, uh, you know, my first psychedelic experiences were all um, driven by spiritual ecstasy that was kicked off in musical environments. Uh, you know, I was kind of in this group that we were called Harmonium. And uh, we were popular around Nashville. And this was when I was like 15 or 16. And, uh, man, we would like lose our minds on stage and none of we were all church kids like we were going into like these punk rock venues and they were like these death metal atheist drug taking people (laughs) who would see us on stage and be like what are you guys on (laughs) you know we'd be like
3: we're on jesus man (laughs) (laughs) what what are some of the other most um the biggest music stories in the in the bible and they're all over the place they're everywhere
5: even in genesis besides the creation story like pretty early on when it's listing like where certain things came from on our planet it's like uh jubal was jubal was the guy's name who said he invented all the instruments and got his children to start playing them and that's where the word jubilee comes from and uh Oh okay, that that I didn't know that. Interesting. And and I had a really kind of cool synchronicity happen today, y'all. There was uh so the next EP that me and Chris are working on for Great Grandson is called At War with the Noonday Demon. And uh which I always thought was just like a more of a pop culture term from like the you know seventeenth like or eighteenth century as a name for listlessness or like kind of Subtle depression, anything that kind of makes you feel like being lazy. And uh, but in my research today, I actually found out that that was developed by one of the monastic orders. And that's the term they gave to the spirit that was um, like the King Saul would be bothered by that caused him to get David to come play the harp to chase that demon away. That's what one of the monastic orders kind of came up with the name of the noonday demon because it would be kind of around midday, apparently, in that story of King Saul where he'd be like partway through his day and he would just kind of get depressed and kind of not want to have to deal with the duties of being a king. And he would get David to come play the harp and that that would chase that spirit away and kind of get him focused back on wanting to accomplish what he needed to accomplish for the day. So that was like super weird to be like, we're doing our final mixes for that EP like, as we speak and I named it that and then in the research for this show tonight, I discover the origin of that term, Noonday Demon.
3: Huh. Yeah. That's what happens with Conspiranormal. <laughs>
5: right. <laughs> Bring on well, in the and,
3: Yeah, <laughs> and then with within that, within these Abrahamic traditions and within Judaism you have the The mystical traditions of Kabbalah And within Kabbalah I understand there's a There's a whole lot of Musical ideas There's the idea that When we're talking about the word Or utterance of God That a lot of the Kabbalah see that as a much more Musical concept than Words as we know them Yeah
5: and a lot of their music Is instrumental and very repetitious very Mm.
3: trans-inducing I was reading today how that there is I guess there's lore of a 22 stringed instrument um, which has each note corresponding to a letter in the Hebrew alphabet and that in the ancient temple these choirs would actually be communicating through gematria whole who knows what kind of information through the music Right, almost so like that,
5: conversations,
3: isn't it? Yeah. So that kinda of blew my mind. That like there a, would be two there would be one on each side, which is like what the uh uh at, the antiphony is, right? Isn't it like that that whole thing we think about with the monks where like one is like
2: da, da,
3: da, 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 it's that back and forth kind of thing.
2: Yeah, the call and response,
3: right? Yeah. yeah. That plays into like a really cool understanding of
5: exoteric and esoteric as well where you if you've got like a number system where you can kind of turn music into a language of its own without speaking or putting words to the music then you can have people appreciating that music exoterically while the the priests or the people more in the know are actually getting a much deeper meaning out of it esoterically it's that's kind of what Kabbalah was all about right
3: esoteric mystical side of Judaism yeah it was kind yeah. of the, the hidden knowledge right and there's there's a lot of uh, analogs to that in in Islam as well which has so many um, regulations against music and we think of as being so puritanical so these these Sufi orders who really used music um, developed those ideas kind of you know, even, even, even further. And the idea is that, you know, music is not just for pure aesthetic appreciation that it's for, um, that it's for understanding the kernel and the, the, the religious aspects in it. And that it's actually a way of like within the poetry of like, we're like in Rumi say how you have him talking about drunkenness Mm -hmm. or sexuality but those things are meant to be actually about the um, the yearning for God. So they actually would take, it, it's weird that actually it's a way of, uh, I guess, preserving some of the secular music, but they would see themselves as like actually transmuting this secular music or erotic poetry into something holy. So that's weird that it gets, gets continued in that, in that other Abrahamic tradition of Islam.
2: So if you said, yeah. if, so, if, to understand that, if you set it to music, then it somehow becomes less base. It somehow becomes less vulgar. It becomes more. holy. No, I mean, no. is that what no, kind of what it's, they're? It's,
3: it, no, it's an idea that even within the within poetry, that may be erotic or talking about drunkenness or whatever. Like the yeah. the inner meaning is the way of trans transmuting and changing the profane into something a, into a trans, something
2: holy, transcending
3: yeah kinda like yeah. Tantric yeah.
5: Buddha, that's kind of like tantric buddhism as well yeah, yeah. Like all of these paths follow so many of the same things it's like the the sufis came up with a term for their like ritual of whirling dervishing around to the music where they have a word for it i don't remember what it was but it translates som- to being drunk and drunk in the spirit and it's like yeah when i read Wajad.
3: that yeah it's like hey, Wajad, I, spiritual I might- ecstasy.
5: Yeah, spiritual ecstasy and being drunk, drunk spiritual drunkenness. And I remember, like, my dad's church was always kind of chill, but I've got other relatives that are ministers and and from a really Pentecostal background, and I've been in churches where I literally heard preachers yelling that it's time to get drunk in the Spirit. And so it's like, it cracked me up when I read that (laughs) some of those those backwoods Southern preachers, if they need to
3: freaking out hey they might have been shriners man they might have they might have known what they're talking about well
2: it it really makes you think that all these that all these traditions come from a come from a similar Mm -hmm. viewpoint or a similar uh source at some point
3: so those are all the abrahamic traditions but of course we've got the classical pagan stuff which is like full of music so some of that i mean like apollo like joel you were talking about apollo earlier who who i guess demand he he came like right out of the womb and invented song itself exactly yeah i mean it's just so
5: pervasive that it's it's kind of nuts and the more that i've I've gone down this rabbit hole the more it just absolutely makes sense to me that music was was one of our first like elements of self-expression as a species and that's like what and You know, it could even function, the whole, from the same source, like, there's so many different trails that that could could be a part of, whether it's, like, an advanced civilization on the planet before, and the remnants of that advanced civilization kept music intact in in some degree, uh, and took it into the different pockets that they were in to to repopulate the planet, but it also could be, like, hundredth monkey, you know, type thing, where humanity, like, Just kind of started to uncover this knowledge, and and there was a tipping point where it just kind of like infiltrated our psyche on a mass level. No matter where you were on the planet, because you see all those examples of inventors, like where somebody becomes famous for inventing a certain like new technology, and then it turns out that there were like eight other people on the planet who were right on the verge of breaking that new yeah. Twenty minutes later, and none of (laughs) them knew about each other.
4: Yeah, the collective consciousness. consciousness.
6: Plus, it's not coincidence that Pythagoras, who is claimed to have discovered intervals in music, at least in the Western tradition, also is one of the few Greeks to believe in that souls can move between bodies. So there's really something about music and communality between people and how kind of we're all in it together. I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
5: The folklore around Pythagoras um, discovering those intervals by hearing the uh, blacksmith hitting on the metal and noticing the different pitches, depending on how the hammer struck the metal. It's so fascinating to me how similar that is to the mallets smashing the nuts in the pot. Yeah. But then also <laughs> yeah. when you study the Islamic tradition, it's the same thing. Apparently Muhammad was walking down the street and heard some craftsmen doing their craft and noticed the different pitches. And he was so excited with, under, with this, all this, this sudden comprehension of music that he started spinning in circles. Why the Sufis do the whirling dervish thing is based on that Muhammad was so excited and emotionally moved at understanding these different intervals and in pitch and how it became music that he started spinning in circles.
3: I actually believe it's it's Rumi actually. Oh, not bad, Rumi. Yeah, not Muhammad. But yeah, it's yeah yeah it's it's the same everywhere. It's I mean, and and like our. You know we all have this western orientation so when europe becomes christianized i guess the the relationship between music and the church becomes pretty changes from that that pagan kind of tied to the cycles of the uh of the earth to much more of the domain of the church so our canon that we we've really inherited is is from that time when you know effectively it was a it was a theocracy and, you know, some things were preserved, um, but they were pretty much the only game in, in town besides just besides folk music, which continued a lot of this stuff. But the church basically became the only game in town. I'll tell you what, those those hymns are catchy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, and within that, though, we have I mean, let's go back because you talked about like Pythagoras earlier, the. The Western esoteric tradition is that hidden part of this this Western civilization. So it it carried on things from Pythagoras, and let's get let's get into Pythagoras because I think that's really got a, a lot of meat to it with ideas of harmony and ratio and micro macrocosm, um, as above so below, that music uh, that that the mathematical formulas in music. Are present everywhere else in the universe, and are divine in themselves.
6: It, it is pretty wild to think that the basic tenets of Pythagorean math also work orally in the in in music in general. It's a, it's a pretty wild coincidence if it even is that.
5: And with color theory and light, it it comes back. It all comes back to vibration and light being the foundation of how our universe seems to be structured which to me, even back... And, you know, there's like a lot of stuff that I've been into recently suggesting how much the, the fathers of almost all the religions kind of were secretly probably involved in some psychedelic rituals and using psychedelic substances and how you see all these weird mushrooms show up in all these stained glass windows and cathedrals. And uh, my experiences on DMT and on psilocybin especially times where I have these glimpses of like stuff that's way bigger than anything I've ever been taught and like where I lose that sense of self and I'm connected to the entire universe so
4: DMT especially during
5: during these times when uh, people were less humans were less distracted by like technology and TV shows and Facebook and stuff I feel like probably like really doing deep dives into Trying to understand the universe. And people, are, you know, Pythagoras would have been one of those people who I think very well, whether or not it was through actual psychedelic substances or through other forms of esoteric knowledge that can lead to psychedelic experiences, whether it be fasting or sleep deprivation, you know, like, yo, you got to get in on this trip. Don't eat for two weeks. It's awesome. And we're <laughs> and <laughs> like the cats, in China, the, the cats in China who are hanging out in caves. You know, you got the Gnostic gospel saying that those who pray in the darkness will see the light. And uh, I think all of these traditions, the, Esso, the priesthood or the, the people who were the keepers of the knowledge or keepers of the flame, probably were like letting each other know that, yeah, music and these principles, if you apply them to your life in certain ways you're going to be able to get a download of truth. You're going to be able to get these downloads of information. And if they're all getting these downloads and they're comparing notes with each other, eventually they're going to come up with these systems, you know, that make sense um, in multiple aspects of life, whether it be looking at just numbers through mathematics, looking at the intervals of music.
4: Well, I think there's certain ratios that are just, universal, regardless of what type of energy you're talking about, you know, with like Pythagoras his his, his, the basis of his stuff was like the three to one ratio where you get the, the the circle of fifths comes from where that's like the perfect, you know, perfect fit, the perfect harmony. Um, one of the most beautiful least colored intervals that that, that there is out there. You know, I think, and, and I think that that lines up with, um, you know light energy and, and various other things and you've got you know the, the whole thing it's it's all it, it all boils down to ratios and things things that just line up in a, a more of a universal pattern not so much in a um i don't know but it, it's still it's it, it nobody knows why like there's certain ratios that are out there like the golden ratio and the um you know, or why we recognize that three-to-one ratio as such a, such a perfect harmony. And that, that I think that's where the spiritual element starts to creep in on Pythagoras' mathematical take to things, which is the, that's the part that intrigues me most about this whole thing, just why why we interpret certain things the way we do and why certain things um affect us the, the way that they're doing so strongly and why they're so abundant in nature. There's no explanation for a lot of that as well.
3: And a lot of that is the the number seven and that corresponds to i guess his his most important theory of music was this idea of music of the spheres does does anyone want to take a stab at that i i don't think i can really articulate it as well someone else might be able to
4: no most of what to know by him is about the thirds like the three being a big number and the three to two (laughs) ratio and like the you know the thirds and the circle of fifths and, and that sort of stuff
5: Music of the spheres is only something I kind of understand very conceptually. It's, it's, I, I have a very strange uh, understanding of it technically. Uh, I'm very prolific in my music creation, but I'm also like very rudimentary in my intellectual understanding of music theory. I tend to like have like this strange ability to like impulsively act intuitively uh, in almost all of the music that I make um so like some of the like theory stuff when i start looking at the map of it i only kind of understand it in this rough hewn like sort of way where conceptually i can look at like you know drawings and and graphs of color theory and be like oh wow i can kind of see how that when i look at a scale next to it it makes sense to me but it's kind of like, i have to work
3: really hard to try to understand that stuff um, right. but, no, I totally understand. My, I, I think understand I think our, our non-musical, I think our non-musical guy has a, will explain it to us. Well, <laughs>
2: well, well. Just this is just from what I read today and yesterday. But it 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 seems to me that like the way that they're, that they were describing it in what I read was that the music of the sphere, so each sphere has this kind of like, and it's not necessarily to be understood in some kind of musical way, although you could understand it, but it's almost like you're, that, that re- the resonance is specific to each sphere. So that there's a lot of the mathematical aspects to it and there's some occult and esoteric aspects to it. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the spheres being the planets. Yeah, it's and so it's and, it's that
3: this this mathematic- the mathematical relationships between the notes have correspondence uh, right. to the to the then understood relationships between the planets the seven heavens. It,
2: it seemed to me like it was almost some kind of like little mental kind of exercise for people at the time to kind of get their head around the universe or the co- yeah. or some kind of cosmology, and Kepler. Um, that I learned today Kepler used the music of his spheres to kind of like to to really kind of press his own theories about the universe and we know that Kepler is one of the big movers of of moving science forward and in, in understanding astronomy and oddly enough, they do know that planets now can emit radio waves and do kind of have their own kind of music to them, sure, so it's not necessarily it wasn't necessarily this weird idea or weird crackpot idea. It actually has some basis in reality. And, um, and it's, it's, it's almost like it was just kind of like this quasi scientific, quasi magical point of view about what each, what the, the residents of the universe, essentially
1: there's that picture
2: that's, that's on there. um, And that's actually on, um, if you go to the Wikipedia page, about Musica Universalis, which is also called the Harmony of the Spheres or the Music of the Spheres. There's a picture from the Renaissance that is interesting that shows the different spheres, the different tones, uh, the muses on one side and the planets on the other. And at the very top, you have Apollo with
5: his lyre. I, I, I do have a couple like odd interpretations of some of that stuff that I think is kind of interesting but I sometimes I wonder if some of the music of the spheres and them trying to say that it was about the planets might have been a little bit of a smokescreen with, with the western intellects not wanting to admit how much they were drawing from some of the eastern ideas because I know that a lot of the number seven and any talk of spheres in like Hindu and Buddhist traditions are talking about the seven chakras Mm-hmm. And how well there you go, My, micro macro, mm-hmm. yeah. And how the different tones connect to the chakras and those those being spheres. And I know that the the whole OM the the OM is supposed to just resonate within the third through the sixth chakra. It starts in your belly, the the third chakra, and moves up to your mouth. And the A U M is the large OM, and that covers the base chakra all the way up to the crown chakra. Right. And, uh, that's the same uh, it's
3: just that as above so below kind of thing the heavens and the ratio and it being the same as what's down here in the human body the, the uh and an inter- Adam an Cadman and all inter- that
5: an interesting connection to Freemasonry too is that the tone that yeah. planet earth makes if you take that note or that tone which is not audible to the human ear and go up 33 octaves then you're supposed to be at middle C on the piano.
3: Well, we were just talking to to uh, Adam or Alan Greenfield about the uh, rights of Misirum Memphis being based upon points in the body, almost like uh, almost like the points of chi for acupuncture or something. So, yeah. Oh yeah,
4: yeah. I was gonna I was gonna bring up. I don't know if you were planning on talking about this later or not, but um, there's there's a lot of discrepancy. About where um, tunings, just general tunings for pitches, should lie. You know, we our, the standard these days is 440, which is considered by a lot of experts to be very distant with with what our mind finds most acceptable. And it was um, back in the day. There's there various other other tunings where I think it was like three, 438 for A or 444, and one of those I think it's four forty four that resonates um perfectly with the molecular structure of water, which a lot of people use as a um, a selling point for it because you know we're mostly water, the earth is mostly water, um, but possibly four thirty eight is more of a closer resonance to the the Earth's, Earth's actual uh, frequency that it emits in like a more of a um you know uh astronomical kind of aspect. Uh, I don't know if if you guys came across any of that in the research. I meant to look up some of the stuff earlier, but yeah, I that... I kind of got sucked into all the stuff that you guys were throwing to the group chat and reading. Yeah, that, yeah,
3: but... yeah. We'll probably get into that because I know that's been really like popularized recently too. In a lot of the, I think the part two we're going to do with this will be like music conspiracies. So there's a the whole idea that there's a conspiracy to take us away from uh, what it should actually be oriented around and that somehow that lends to people, people being able to control us better with, yeah, with it's, music. Like, it's like, <laughs> the, oh,
2: yeah. it's like the, the Nazis started it or something yeah, yeah. like
3: that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
2: That's the, uh, that's the fireman prophet. He also says something about that. The, uh, the, the, uh, but I mean, maybe,
3: maybe there's something to it. Um, but continuing on, on this kind of Western esoteric thing, uh, before, I want to talk to talk about something that me and Joel were talking about earlier but Adam you you've been kind of digging into how many of these classical composers were were esotericists.
2: Oh well, yeah. I mean almost uh, all of them.
3: <laughs> I <laughs> mean the
2: the biggest one uh it was was Mozart. He yep. was the biggest one. Uh The Magic Flute Apparently had all kinds of Masonic imagery. In fact, it was really just a Masonic allegory. And uh, Mozart was was just 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 huge in Freemasonry. He was very much a part of his life. His father had been a Freemason. Um, he played in the lodge. He actually he actually apparently knew Adam Weishaupt, who started the Illuminati, uh, oddly enough. And so he had all these kind, of, all these kind of um, connections. Uh, you've got other guys like Debussy. So he was, uh, he was in the kind of like same kind of occult milieu as like Elvis Levi in Paris at the same, at the time, uh, late nineteenth century. Uh, Richard Wagner would be another one. You know, all this stuff that's very like just very steeped in like occultism, Freemasonry, uh, Germanic mythology. Uh, Stravinsky was another one I think I was reading about today that he was uh, a part of it Uh, so yeah a lot of the guys and and, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach was a Freemason apparently Uh, Beethoven is suspected of being a Freemason I mean it was very popular at the time but I think a lot of these guys they probably really put some of these concepts and some of these musical structures into their music as well
5: absolutely and i so i'm happen to be friends with this guy who's like the official organ player for the grand lodge of the freemasons in nashville he he plays organ for all their rituals in the in the grand lodge and i've talked mm-hmm. to him about pipe organs a couple of times and uh he kind of turned me on to like some information from this guy who is an, an electro in, electrical engineer professor named eric p dollard and and this if you guys haven't looked into eric p dollard i definitely think you should the guy is an absolute wild man um and he's super smart and super crazy but he uh and he believes in the electric universe he's kind of in on the whole um thunder thunderbolt project people and the idea that um the universe is made out of electricity and that the sun is actually electrical, not plasma-based, and some of that stuff's really far out, but my favorite stuff that he's ever talked about is music, and he and some of his buddies, they go to a lot of the old cathedrals with the super complex pipe organs. Um, some of these pipe organs have like 30,000 pipes in them, and they they tend to be tuned to 432, mm-hmm. but he's he says that all of these um, a lot of this classical music that they'll in these cathedrals around the world they'll still have these special concerts where they'll have people come in and and do these famous classical pieces on these pipe organs, and he and his buddies will take these field trips and they sit in very specific places in the in the room that they, he his he theorizes that the whole cross in christ in the Christian church has to do with sound and how. If you sit in a room that's a certain shape and you sit in the place where if the foot of the cross was at the podium on the stage and you find where the cross, the horizontal cross beam would go and you go and sit right at that cross section that when these pieces of music are played on the pipe organ that it'll almost instantaneously catapult you into a psychedelic experience where you will have an out-of-body experience. So he and his buddies go to these these uh, concerts on these pipe organs. They'll they'll take trips each year to these cathedrals, just to sit in these places and for three hours during these big concerts on these pipe organs and like have the the most extreme out of body experience, the psychedelic experiences they've had in their life without any drugs, without any like fasting or sensory deprivation. They'll just go sit in the spot and they say like twenty or thirty minutes in they feel the molecules in their body like moving around in different ways and then wow boom, all of a sudden, they're hanging out in the ether
3: whoa <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention these cathedrals would be built in specific ways on top of ancient sites or water or geological phenomenon so you have all this adding to something like that potentially
5: I, the whole water connection is super fascinating to me too because I went through a phase where I was really into the research of Dr. Emoto and how the research, of water crystals and looking at the shape of them based on what the water was exposed to. And he had a whole run of his research. that was where he would take this distilled water and put it in front of the speakers during while certain types of music was playing and then flash freeze it, slice it, and then look at the ice crystals and the shapes they formed in while that music was playing. And uh, it's super fascinating because a lot of those classical pieces that were composed by the, that music, and then he looked at the ice crystals of that water, they would look like snowflakes. They would be beautifully, you know, geometrically shaped and balanced and constructive. And then he would like put the water in front of like a lot of modern kind of discordal stuff and like heavy metal, and the ice crystals would freeze yeah. and like. In chaotic pattern, you know, without pattern. Yeah, I've heard kind about of like this. Blob, yeah, blob. yeah. And, uh, bodies are like seventy percent water, and so it's like I think music actually is the foundation of magic in a way. It's the simplest form of magic, or the simplest just definition I've ever heard of magic is action at a distance. And yes. music travels through the air and can affect things that are so far away from its actual source. Yeah. And so I think like. Music in and of itself might be the highest form of magic.
2: Those type of same experiments uh, have been done with plants too. Like plants thrive Mm -hmm. under a certain type of music, and some other music they'll just die.
3: Heavy metal kills them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, even looking at like mm
5: -hmm.
4: even looking at like children learning, and they learn children learn better when Mozart is playing than when something. You know, even some of his peers are playing, you know, the classically. Like, it's not, they're not even necessarily a, a style or a genre, you know.
2: Yeah, if you had Salieri playing, it would probably not be as, as
5: good. <laughs> right. If the cathedrals were built that way, that's why I was asking earlier if you were talking about the temple in Memphis, the Egyptian temple is like, my understanding is that some of the temples in Egypt and a lot of the classic cathedrals were kind of built to be a larger version of the human body. And so the music, if the music would resonate in a certain positive way in that building, then it was assuredly also going to resonate in the bodies of, of the congregants who who go to those services.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that, that in and of itself, you know, the as above, so below kind of effect. You've got a double mm-hmm. effect going on there between the bodies and between the, the, the representation of the body
3: the heavenly bodies yeah pretty wild stuff I mean before um, while we're still in the past because I want to make a bridge to our present time but is there anything else anyone wants to talk about with kind of the origins of music ancient music and magic in um, our and other uh, cultures having to do with how it interacts with the spiritual uh, spiritualities, etc.
5: I, I did notice that the the drawing of the word for Om in the Hindu tradition, the symbol for Om, it looks almost exactly like the Sanskrit word for voice of God that that is used in the Islamic tradition. Um, and the Islamic tradition has kind of turned on its side In one I think There's some
2: weird Like effects going on I don't know if anybody else is hearing that when you talk Joel but like, yeah, some... What, I heard that what is that? It's like some alien transmission or something it It's like a woman's start? voice or... Yeah it's like a woman's voice starts talking like, What? There it
4: is again <laughs> Like what? I am very like,
5: in touch with my feminine side.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe it will be caught on the recording. Perhaps not, though. I think I may have it. Hopefully. I, yeah, do, I am known to wear dresses every now and then.
2: <laughs> it's just like some woman's voice going, ah, 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 and then, like, it just leaves, and then, oh. like, what, what's That's
5: going like on? John stuff.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> you have been having yes. any strange occurrences happening lately? Any weird, think, any weird phone calls in the middle of the night? I think
3: Joel, I think Joel has all a the lot
5: time. of weird synchronicities this week. I'll tell you. I'm I'm reading. This is all a little off subject, but I mean the the synchronicities that have occurred. What that one about the noonday demon happened today. Three days ago, I found out that me and my brother, who lives in Los Angeles, are reading the same book. And neither of us had ever mentioned it to each other we got on the phone together for the first time in months and he brought up the book he's reading and it's the exact same book i started reading a week ago and uh there was one other one that just occurred today oh right before this call happened me and chris were talking about a, a guy who played drums in a band i was in before we went on a little run to pick up some beer from the gas station we were talking about him i left my phone here At the studio to keep charging to make sure that my battery battery was full for this whole conversation and we get back from the store and that guy that drummer had texted me while we were talking about him
0: (laughs) Hmm.
3: all right yeah that's that's what happens when you get on because paranormal guys echo gets turned up to 11.
2: Well, did we want to mention anything about like the Dionysian rites and like Pan and these type of things? Like this?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we kind of skipped over some of the classical mythology. Adam, if you want to touch on any of that, I definitely want to get into that because that, you know, in tandem with the Abrahamic traditions, that's kind of what we are as Western people is that amalgamation of those two traditions, it seems like.
2: Well, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, I think the, the. Dionysus what is he usually I mean it's the music I, well music is more associated with Apollo but I believe that music is associated with Dionysus especially with the Dionysian ritual I think drumming was very important for that as well and it was probably the same in like the worship of Pan flutes you know Pan is usually um, associated with the flute so I mean there's right. there's there's music that is very important in both um both I guess kind of, of course correct, with pe- I suppose.
5: I kind of think that that's, so that's a, the, ubiquitous, side. the ubiquitous the ubiquitous nature of how all that stuff's taught. In terms of like actual style of music and Western music, like I tend to think that all the stuff that has influenced us in the church and this you know, growing up Christian and the Western scale and all that stuff, it's still very much connected to those pagan like concepts, I think, because you know so much of Christianity and the rituals within the church were kind of for lack of a better term, bastardizations of pagan rituals that already existed when the Roman Empire decided to make that switch.
3: Yeah, or pre or preservations, if you can look at it that like that yeah, there yeah. was actually a, an esoteric system created with with the you know, with Christianity taking over. Um, but there, I've gotta admit old- I as far If we're trying to see if there's anything about
5: the, the distant past that we haven't covered, one thing that I haven't mentioned that I've thought about a bit over the last couple of days is how much rhythmic drumming and going into trance states with drumming and dancing was a, a huge part of tribal life and all over Africa. But connected to that whole idea of going into those trance states through music, connecting people with a higher knowledge would be like the Dogon tribe the Dogon tribe in Africa did a lot of rhythmic dance and circles for hours, very much like the Sufis. And, you know, they're kind of famous for like having all this understanding about the cosmos, the predated
3: technology. Even Celtic people, there's plenty of, uh, of traditions that have been preserved with drumming. And uh, we tend to be a lot more, uh, of course, before popular music, here that came from america in particular because mostly because of african americans is uh you know we tended to be more melody uh oriented but the drum was probably you know before that or at the same time as the first kind of primordial singing uh i mean my roots are in i'm scotch irish but for some reason when it comes to
5: celtic art i just don't buy in i don't know why I don't know if it's my rebellious nature, but I just have never been drawn to any type of Celtic art, whether it's the knots or Irish music. I just kind of reject it in a way. Maybe that's some self-loathing. None of, of that, yeah. <laughs> none of, none like of that high,
3: lonesome sound, man. None of that high, lonesome sound. Country music is basically Irish.
5: That's true, but even yeah, that, yeah. Like, the, my favorite parts of all that stuff is, is that it was actually white people stealing it from Africans. Like the banjo came from Africa
3: for sure. <laughs> well yeah, but but I mean a lot of you know a lot of the high lonesome sound and the intervals, uh we talked to on our on our last show about how um a lot of it can sound there's been a lot of parallels made to to Eastern music and Middle Eastern music and Indian music with the, the droning too. of the bagpipes of the the big jumps and the melodies and um you know, but that that also might have a lot of interaction from Iberia. Yeah, oh, it's interesting.
5: Uh,
6: the pedal steel being invented in Hawaii by Oh
3: wow,
5: yeah, I didn't think about that. The pedal steel is Hawaiian. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean it's all it's all connected. I, I'm mostly just like I'm just kind of goofing off at this point, just saying that yeah, like yeah. I can't stand Irish pub music. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh man. Oh well. Well, there's one folk uh, song
3: I. Like. Oh shit! Yeah, was well, there anything else you want to add to that, Rob? Before we get on to uh, our modern day, no, I think I think we covered everything I'm
4: I'm aware of <laughs> or, or knowledgeable cool. about.
2: Well, just to, just to add something about the Greek mythology, um, and then there was another rite, the Orphic rite, Orpheus, which uh, very, relied very yeah. heavily, very heavily on music. So you've got three different kind of rites that are based in the greek religion greek mythology pan dionysus and the orphic rite. so those are all those those are that's a more of a mystery school religion
3: and orpheus was said to be the the greatest of all poets and and musicians um and i think um so i think that he really let's see here well, I think Apollo was the one who had several musical battles, though. Like, he went around, he, oh. like, battled Pan, whooped Pan. I think he, he whooped a, a, a couple other demigods. Yeah, yeah, it's like ancient ancient hip-hop battles, man. It's pretty cool. You know, there are, now that I think about it, I, did, I read something today
5: that I thought was super fascinating that said that in a lot of the Vedic traditions, the weapons that the gods were using in their sky battles were often described as sound weapons or musical weapons. Interesting. And I thought I thought that was super fascinating. And then also isn't there, there some was
3: story, walls of Jericho to that?
5: The walls of Jericho is
3: really a cool little uh, old school
5: um, connection to the force and power of music. Also, there was something I read today about how King David. Even when he wasn't playing his harp, he would sometimes when he would want to pray or meditate or receive visions from God, he would set his harp in a window opening and wait for the wind to blow across the strings and how the sound of the strings vibrating would help him enter into that meditative state. Um there's just so many I mean, I felt at a certain point today I kind of felt overwhelmed. There's like even though I knew how pervasive to some degree music was connected to mysticism, it's. I feel like I could spend months researching this stuff and keep finding new little factoids that kind of blow my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just
2: the, the search would be never-ending, essentially.
5: Or like in 1939, there was this Swiss researcher who um, mostly did research in India but then wound up having a buddy say you should come to tibet and while he was in tibet he claims to have seen these tibet monks levitate huge stones using these big kettle drums and nine foot trumpets and a collection of monks who were chanting and they would like they set up the instruments in a certain pattern and had measured the distance like it was very mathematical they had to set up in a certain location a certain distance from the stones and that after like 10 or 15 minutes of them chanting hitting these drums and blowing these horns these big stones started to kind of shake back and forth and then eventually they rose up from the ground and they levitated them 250 meters up onto a, a shelf on a cliffside, and this this swiss like doctor of some kind Said he watched, sat and watched them for hours doing it, and said it. He had never seen anything like it, and he knew. Well, you've got. Um, no would, he said he knew that no one would believe him when he told the story. There's but also. Just
2: there's, there's also Coral Castle.
5: Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. You know,
2: um, the 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 owner of that this was this was this little skinny guy, and somehow he built this this castle out of these large stones and people would say that they would hear like these harmonies at night and a lot of music coming from coming from the Coral Castle and yeah, there would be the, the next there would be the next day a new stone would be erected so that's always been like kind of like that that speculation among the the paranormal field is that, that that somehow he was using some kind of sound technology to levitate these stones.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of examples, even in modern technology of acoustic levitation uh, on a small scale. But the idea of like these monks causing large stones to go 700 feet <laughs> in the air is pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. I also think, I'm also like, you know, I'm a very open-minded person. So I think, like, if there's a group of people who have been studying a tradition and a practice for thousands of years and and they've kind of honed in on it, like, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was absolutely true. I mean, that might be, the, I mean, the whole, that dude who did Coral Castles consistently said that he had discovered the secrets of how they built the pyramids in Egypt.
2: Yeah, he did say that. Yeah. So that's 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 even going way back. That's even going way back into the history of music. Did they use music somehow to 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 do the megalithic buildings and all that? Yeah.
5: It very well could be. If if the heroes and gods within the Vedic traditions were using music as weapons, then certainly yeah. uh, that that same type of energy or power could be used more constructively. And then you've also you know, there's lots of stuff and lore around the Nazis developing sound weapons and sound cannons. And, uh, you know, so many things, if the universe is made of frequency and sound, then it seems like sound could be a force that could manipulate any tangible substance on the planet. If it can, like, like, some people think that that's how, like, you know, there's certain megalithic structures that look almost like the the stones were melted and reshaped, and to fit in these like crazy um, jigsaw patterns of these stones. That there's no chisel marks or whatever. So maybe they were able to like hit those stones with certain frequencies, and it changed the structure of the stone molecularly to a point where it was almost like putty. And they could reshape it, and then they they stop hitting it with the frequencies, and it and it resolidifies.
3: Well, if the utterance or the word of God is some kind of musical frequency, then employing that would be having the power of the gods to do things like build these things. And if the gods supposedly built these things, then then there you go, right? That is the the ultimate powers that are lost for eternity. <laughs> so, um. I guess breaking from ancient antiquity, I guess we could get into things that are a little bit closer to home for all of us and um, things that are really uniquely American too. And we really just have their origin here in, in, popular music in which what we really mean, I guess is recorded music. And this is what has shaped all, of, you know, I know all you guys, I know we've all grown up um, in you know, music subcultures and pretty much these things shaped who we are. And I guess at the beginning, really, if you want to talk about the beginning of rock and roll and all these things, it, there is a foundational mythology and that's probably the, the crossroads myth of Robert Johnson. Oh, absolutely. I forgot that, you and I talked about that on the phone the other day,
5: <laughs> like where he had the whole idea of selling your soul to, like, gain this this important knowledge, which happened to be, like, being able to be a motherfucking badass on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a long tradition of, of you know, rock and roll musicians talking about having sold their soul in some way or another. There's a really interesting interview I remember seeing with Bob Dylan, and he kind of yeah. grins real big, and he's like, well, you know, I had to make a make a deal with you-know-who. To get to the top. After looking at all this, like more ancient knowledge and esoteric stuff about music, it kind of makes a lot of modern music seem so dull and boring.
1: <laughs> well, I don't
3: know. I mean, because because I want to start off with that crossroads mythos, and then of course a lot of um a lot of the people who've been making popular music have fascinations with the occult. Um, we're gonna get into kind of the more conspiratorial stuff. On probably the next episode because there's tons of that but just this idea that um popular music is bringing these all these old forms of uh ritualistic music we were talking about like back to the west and it's definitely through through african americans here more than anything and through the the musical traditions that they've preserved and a much more uh, emphasis on rhythm and you know if you look at a modern festival or rock concert these seem like dionysian rites or ancient pagan uh fertility things going on like is this the return this is the return of that stuff it may be some of, maybe if you're if you're you know fundamentalist like maybe maybe a lot of these fundamentalists really aren't wrong in that this really is the return of elements of paganism
2: well it's sure and then you gotta you you gotta put in the you gotta put in the element too like we talked with tony kale about um about hoodoo and all that and how that was kind of the 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 original satanic panic was really the the panic over hoodoo and what that was and of course then this is the 30s and 40s and then all of a sudden the 50s 60s you get rock and roll music that's based in african-american music and then from that comes comes heavy metal and then you get the satanic panic later on in the seventies and eighties. So, you know, these different, it, it, it's all about the racial, the racial structure and all about the, that. So that's another element. The, 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 that, <laughs> well, there's and, another religious aspect that is and, the, the African religion.
5: Now, the people running, I think like entertainment industry and whatnot, I think probably are, are, into esoteric stuff to some degree and the problem i have with a lot of the the modern culture uh, embracing is it it seems so dumbed down it reminds me of like the catholic church kind of using humans as batteries and kind of like not wanting to allow the common people to be able to speak latin i feel like it's all kind of being like ushered in through the modern entertainment industry in ways that are a little bit kind of like crappy and like nefarious maybe it's like like getting people to buy into something that they don't even understand what they're buying into and oh for sure i don't i don't particularly like that and uh i like the the idea of esoteric knowledge being brought to light and and like my favorite part of anything having to do with the christian mythos at all is the idea of the curtain between the people and the holy of holies being torn and uh, so anyone who's still trying to, like, operate and controlling humanity through esoteric means without actually bringing that into the actual face-to-face conversation, I feel like it's kind of a scumbag.
4: It's, um, it's empty. It's all, it's, it's, I, yeah, it's I, very, I, very empty.
5: But, oh, but I do see like those symbols. You see it in like the halftime shows and the Super Bowl, and like people like there are people out there who make a living off of breaking that down and how it's all a pagan ritual, and you know maybe it is, maybe it isn't.
3: Well, no, um, I, I mean more of I mean more of like the actual what's actually going on in culture. I mean how we actually have we reinherited some of these mysteries through rock and roll through dance through pop culture i mean this was like you know people good people do not do these things that we all have been shaped by you know in our youth i mean
4: this is <laughs> well that's, that's what that's i was gonna say like it yeah. even goes back to like you know i was gonna talk about rock and roll but it goes back to like even you know in the 1800s the waltz yeah like a lot of the upper crusty people, you know, the, the the adults of society back then, they were like, they saw the waltz as this like horrible thing with young people dancing close to one another. And like, you know, they, they saw it as, as a, a devilish influence, you know, that was a hundred years before rock and roll. But I think that that's kind of the whole thing is any, any use of music that has drawn people towards that experience that's not associated with the church has been called, sort of a, a, a demonic or a devilish kind of a, a thing. And it Yeah, it's like it it predates rock and roll by a by a, by a long shot, but rock and roll has made it prop popular to, to us, to our generation, to our parents' generation in particular. You know, but yeah, I was reading Yeah, and I, I I talked to I was talking to Adam about this like a week ago. I I, I always forget the guy's name, but Ambrose
2: author, Beers.
4: the Ambrose Beers. thank you. He he wrote a book about and it was it was it was very tongue in cheek. He was not against it, but it was about about waltz music in what would have been like the eighteen sixties. And it was it was almost the the plot was almost the same as Footloose. It was like hilarious, but it was just all about, <laughs> was
5: about music
4: Footloose drawing today. drawing people away from you know drawing you know. Creating a spiritual experience that wasn't associated with the church, essentially. Yeah, right.
2: I, I think I think it's 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 not just the church in some ways. It's also the state and being able oh, to well, the, the state being able to control, being able to control people that, as as well. Um, you know, like a, that, I mentioned Stravinsky before when the Rites of Spring when he when he premiered that it, it, people had never heard anything like it and they just went crazy.
3: Well, here, no. well and, here, here's going back even further to Plato. This is a, the famous Plato quote. For the introduction of a new kind of music must be shunned as imperiling the whole state, since styles of music are never disturbed without affecting the most important political institutions.
0: What, well, what wow. That's Plato? Yeah, that's Plato. Wow. That's,
3: that's pretty far out. Secret so secret. and look yeah. at so so our entire yeah, Plato was apparently
5: a pythagorean secretly i read about that today like some oh yeah so, so researcher found a code in all of plato's writings where every 12th line that he wrote mentions music and he was kind of giving a nod to the fact that the pythagoreans used a 12-note scale and he was kind of letting them know like i'm on your side but i can't like admit it publicly or I I i'm like, that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow.
3: And so our our whole last century was about, you know, the entire pop culture of it was about constant innovation and new kinds of music.
5: Yeah, and I love that. I mean, I love new kinds of music. I just feel like in a pop culture sense, it's all, there is some element of, like, the divisions between the esoteric and the exoteric have gotten more stringent. Well, I mean, do you feel like it,
3: and I've experienced this sometimes too, I'm not going to lie. Do you well, feel like it makes things profane? Like it's, it takes away the kernel of it, even though that might've been the thing that allowed well, you I, access to these things. What, sometimes what feel it feels like, like it, the powers
5: of be, the different factions of the powers that be are taking this thing that is sacred and beautiful and universal and potentially what humanity for thousands and thousands of years has been, our primary connecting point to whatever divinity means. And they're like having pissing matches over who can use it the most to control the masses yes. or like monetize it or corporatize it. And to me, like that's the most profane thing that could ever be done. Yeah. To something yeah. beautiful music.
4: Oh, absolutely. And sometimes something good bubbles through something with meaning and something that's got, um, It manages to become popular and it still has a spiritual value to it or like a esoteric value to it or, a you know, some kind of connection to to that other. And but but for the most part, I think you're right. I think it it is totally a a battle over who can. It's a powerful thing. Of course, they're going to grab it and they're going to try to use it. You know, it's a tool.
5: (laughs) It's the same way that like governments use nuclear weapons in the past it's the same like, way
4: they re- no. it's the same way governments use religion it's identical yeah, like, to it they
5: see that there's like a power religion there in and,
4: itself and they wanna... religion 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 itself isn't a isn't a bad thing but when it gets intertwined with the religion which it always does because it's a powerful thing it becomes this this whole other like i don't know it just it's it just it gets watered down it gets abused it gets yeah. it gets used as a tool and and it it, it just it 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 winds up Affecting everybody in the long run negatively, the same way that the music industry has. Just, just to wrap that up, it like it, it music in itself is the most sacred thing in the world to me. So when I see, like, pop music taking advantage of that, and you know, there, there's an office of people in L. A. that are deciding what the next like lyrics for One Direction's n- new hit single should be. Like, that's just like it makes me sick. <laughs> The, the the same way that like when I see religion being used utilized that way like makes me sick. It's it's the same thing. Chris doesn't hasn't talked much, and he. He's oh, got I'm, something. Uh,
6: I was just uh, gonna say, isn't the spirit of that Plato quote you read earlier though? Doesn't that speak to how much people in power fear music
1: and the yes. power of yes?
6: Oh, absolutely transcend? Because like you know we're we're talking about how terrible a lot of garbage pop music is, which of course it is, but. Really good music seems to endure, no matter whether it's the CD or Spotify or whatever kind of like profit-driven st- structure tries to control it. It seems like good music endures, and those kind of come and go with the
4: tides, whatever. And in a hundred years, the, the best music is what's going to be remembered. But like even oh. like I, I you know I I have two daughters. My my fourteen-year-old, she'll constantly she'll she, she's in the past year or two, she's got really into like '90s music. So, whenever we're sitting around listening to music, she'll play like Nirvana or, um, I don't know, some Red Hot Chili Peppers or something from the 90s. And like, she genuinely loves it, you know. And it's that, that to me, that's inspiring. <laughs> There's a little bit of hope. Yeah,
5: Nirvana rules. We're, we're working on a Nirvana cover right now.
4: Hell yeah.
3: Not a fan, but that's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, oh, you got to admit they were the, influential, the, though. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> can't. But the, uh, I mean, what I, what I think a lot of this boils down to, though, is that this is a music, we're, we're, when we are going back into this ritualistic past, it was much more of a participatory thing. And what yeah. mass media has done is it's created these stars as these objects yeah. of worship, and they're kind of like fulfilling the, the roles of the heroes of old. And well, so now, and, they, and they've done it. Yeah.
4: they've done it through nefarious means by boiling down what is, what is most attractive to most people, and let's give them that. And there's no substance to it. There's no, um, the, you know, there, there's no spiritual value there at whatsoever. None. It's it's watered yeah. down. It's meaningless lyrics. It's catchy stuff. It's 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 catchy rhythms. Like this kind of rhythm works. This kind of melody works. Like that's not what. Formulae. And I, as mm-hmm. much as as much as you might just like nirvana they 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 were creating things from the heart that they were feeling not trying to get popular not they were trying to create you know right. and, and i think that, i think the very aspect of trying to create in itself uh, uh it, it it introduces an energy that it kind of it, it it exposes us to to, to a, a more of a spiritual like a genuine truth but some, that some of those is, is, yeah. is therefore lacking.
3: Some of those great musicians the case, from the seventies, the really epic ones who we would love and stuff. I mean at the time, you know, the punk rockers hated Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and, and that shit. And they were like it, this is not rock and roll. This has elevated these people to these like hero worship and we need to bring it back down to earth. So I think in some of the music from the eighties, you saw this deconstruction and you saw this return to like a communal participatory thing to the point where I think with some of the electronic dance music, you see that it's not even, it wasn't even about, you know, looking at a stage. It's about your par- participation in this type of ritual. Um, and it's about the Especially audience, live. all of our participation, instead of this, this yeah, the, hero the, worship.
4: Well, they, the hedonistic elements of it got more pronounced, for sure. Very much
3: so. But they were always
6: pronounced, right? You're talking about
5: Dionysus, baby.
6: That's right. That's very true. They were yeah. probably Yeah, but if you're looking You've looked
4: at the the, that, like, the 70s, it was more about the message, it was more about the creating of something, about the sharing of something. You know it wasn't like you can even go back further you can look at the 50s like the stuff that got popular was what they were, what they could sell to someone that owns a jukebox you know because it was the jukebox owners that controlled the music industry and you know you you had the bubblegum pop music and the all of that that, that kind of transferred into the 60s but then you also had that the underground scene through all of it which was a lot of it was inspired by you know psychedelics yeah
3: yeah, but, and then that, that's a big part.
4: And psychedelics, of has, and psychedelics have always helped break I'm apart from. Well, I was just gonna say the psychedelic element has always helped break apart from that uh, commercial side of it. The the what is most marketable, what is most hip, what is most this, what can we sell today? Because it 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 engendered a whole group of people to to just create, to just like. I want to make this because I want to make something. I'm not trying to be rich, I'm not trying to be popular, I'm not trying to be famous. I want to create something that genuinely means something. You know, right. and and th- those are the bands that have endured throughout. Yeah, like, and if you become yeah, I, if I, you I, become
2: you, famous so be it, but you're still doing it because you love to do right. it. Right.
4: And you've got some pop music that has endured, but it but the pop music that has endured also had those elements. Right? It, they they happened to have stumbled upon those elements or they happen to like, it's not because some record label thought this is like the great thing. That's going to, you know, those, those are never the bands that endure. Those are never the bands that, that continue on into the future or that influence the next generation of artists of true artists. So, you you know, you you get this like dichotomy of like stuff that can make money today and stuff that's going to influence people tomorrow, but still be, um, beneficial to, to society in in some sort of way, you know?
5: I think the difference is that back in the day, it seemed like the people who were like making the majority of the music were the people who were like tapping into the esoteric stuff and were doing so intentionally. So I think like, yeah. if you want to talk about like the music, this instrumental music being made by the people studying Kabbalah. They were like making this music that might've had these secret codes behind it. And sure, some people were just kind of listening to it and being like, oh, it's beautiful. Praise the Lord. And then other people, though, might have been like, whoa, I'm kind of noticing this and this about this music. And so the people making that music would see certain young people who were, tap- who were recognizing these universal truths within the music and being like, oh, you're a sharp person. Let, let me, like, pull you into the mystery school or this, like, thing where we're going to teach you, like, some stuff that really needs to last. For thousands and yeah. thousands of years. That's well, that's what I'm saying. Is I don't, is I, don't this really a see, continuation? I don't really see. I that. I just don't see that people are are in the in the system now being like, oh, you picked up on that secret message in that post Malone song. Let's like. Have <laughs> like,
0: well, let's I, like I, don't, I don't. I don't mean like the top. Knowledge.
3: I don't mean the top of the pops, man. I mean just like popular culture. Uh, itself which would include things that we would say would be underground etc and i and i definitely have a much more of a generation x orientation so i'm talking about things like punk rock things like uh you know underground diy heavy metal and the early rave scenes these things being this like continuation of these initiatory experiences that might have been you know that are definitely tied up in, in psychedelics and things like that that might be some kind of analog to the ancient mysteries of the past being like reintroduced to people now. And, and in the absence of, um, in the absence of coming of age rituals, in the absence of uh, all these things that ancient societies had for people growing up, it seems like these music subcultures were ways of initiating young people into, even if it's just like fragmentary elements of some kind of, you know, ancient ancient mystery schools.
4: No, I, oh, I think for that's sure. Actually, like uh, a good point. That's that's what Punk that, Rock that's a very good point. Uh, so, well, I grew I, I, I came to like uh around sixteen or seventeen I got really into like the whole jam band thing. You know, the Grateful Dead, Fish, that sort of thing. And they're very, very those bands are very community oriented, you know. Very psychedelic heavy, very experience this the way you want to experience it sort of sort of venues you know and i know i'm alone on this podcast as far as this is concerned but it it, it embodies that that whole that whole that, that whole experience like um i remember the first first dead show i went like you know it was post Jerry garcia's death but the first dead show i went to like it that was the most communal i've ever felt in my entire life where i met all these people that felt like me that loved music the way I loved that we're down to do psychedelic drugs and experience music in just whatever open way you can experience it. Kind of a, a vibe, you know, and that's, I think that that's much closer to, uh, the the way people experienced music hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago than what most modern, um, culture does.
6: Absolutely. Well, and I mean, it, That also, like, that really speaks to the power of music, because even though us here during this conversation aren't the kind of people that want to go to Coachella and see Post Malone, to borrow Joel's example, (laughs) the people who do go to Coachella to see Post Malone do feel that same communality around that. So I think there is something to be said for even what I would consider, quote unquote, music that doesn't really get me off or whatever. There is something that it does bring people together no matter what.
5: Yeah, mm-hmm. so sports does that. That's yeah, but
6: but that's religion too, isn't it? Yeah. True. Yeah. So
5: totally. people need to get together to try and I think the, I think the difference is in back in the day it was the pervasive music, it was the music that existed on almost every aspect of the culture also had a deeper meaning. People had, had to choose to deep dive into yeah. that to understand the deeper meaning. Yeah, now but- it's but more I'll be—you like have to find—you have to find the subversive music to find. You have to find totally different music than what's pervasive. I'll
3: be devil's advocate. I'll be devil's advocate though, because the popular music that we know of as classic rock and R and B is really only that. I mean, a lot of them are good bands and great musicians, but a lot of it—they were only hits because of the, the radio promo mob syndicate that ran that shit. And well, there's, there's great bands that are, are unsung because of that. And the only reason we know of a lot of the music we know of is because of that fixed corrupt system. It's the it's same that's thing, what I'm
4: saying. but but some good stuff does bubble through to the surface,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we don't still, I really we like still listen to, We
4: don't still listen to most of the stuff that was promoted back then, we still listen to five percent of the stuff that was promoted back then because it actually was good. And we won't hear the stuff. We won't hear, you know, ninety-five percent of the stuff that was phenomenal back then. You'll never hear it. You don't. No one will ever hear it. It was played in a garage somewhere, and it never got picked up by a label or whatever. But like, right?
5: But that the, doesn't the
6: that doesn't that
4: the, doesn't devalue the few things that did bubble through that happened to also be good. Right, but
5: if, you, if there. Really, aren't many people I know, like under the age of thirty. Who truly have sat down and listened to much Frank Zappa, and that's some of the most like esoteric rock and roll that there is. I don't <laughs> particularly like it. I don't like Frank Zappa like aesthetically, but when you listen to no. his interviews and the stuff that he's putting behind the music, I'm like,
4: man, that's pretty dope. <laughs> right, I, I, I listen to it from an educational awesome. standpoint, <laughs> but not because like I need something to jam out to.
2: Well, he did say, "Don't eat the yellow snow." So there you go. <laughs> I mean,
3: cool. there's a lot of wisdom
4: there. <laughs>
3: well, I think we've kind of we've there kinda, is indeed. Yeah, I think we've kind of wrapped it up and gotten to uh, to modern day and personal experience and things like this. Maybe we can just say, though, what a uh, you know what role does the the other the or the supernatural, esoteric, paranormal play in 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 all of your musical lives? or how has it been a part in your personal experience in, in creating music and listening to music? I mean, we've all touched on it, but if there's anything else you guys want to add with that for just like personal. Yeah, yeah
4: I'll start for sure. M- music to me is the most real thing that there is. Everything else is secondary. It always has been since I was like a little kid and I will, I will, I will always create music because it's, it's a way to express emotions that you can't express with words by themselves. And I think if every, if if every musician felt that way, that, I mean, the world would be a better place because that's what music is for. It's for expressing esoteric concepts that are ingrained in our, our psyche. They're ingrained in our instincts there they they affect us in ways that you know are so deeply ingrained in our history thousands and thousands of years back that it's just it's there, there's just no other way to to communicate on that kind of a level mm. so that, that's why i've always been into music that's that's why i will always be into music and thank you for letting me on the show Sergio and Adam
2: as, a, Damn, as, a, it was as awesome. a as a as a non musician, I would second that. Just it's it's all for me being someone that doesn't make music has no musical skill. It's it's just for me. It's just all about how it makes me feel, and the the words. That's it for me. So yeah, I second Wait, what's that. What's
5: music? What what's music without listeners? So yeah,
2: it's, absolutely. Yeah.
5: And we're all listeners, right? That's why we all love music. doesn't matter if you make it or not.
2: And I guess we'll go on to you,
4: Joel.
5: uh, You know, music's always been, I feel like, my therapist. I'm also, like, yes, kind of autistic. And I feel like it's one of those things that somehow helps me connect with the rest of humanity. It's kind of been a bridge for me since I was a child. But then also connected to my upbringing, it's, it's the only part of anything that had to do with my religious upbringing that hasn't degraded. Almost every other aspect of religious influence in my life has degraded and turned to dust. But music has only become stronger and greater and more relevant to how I view the world. And it's been my best friend through ever since I've decided to be like a dedicated psychonaut. It's like so connected to like every experience I've had that feels bigger than just being a lone individual on this planet. It's how I find camaraderie with friends like Chris right beside me. And with people like you guys, it is it's like the language of all languages and it, it bridges the gap of all different, all different societies, and uh, it does hold a lot of esoteric keys to understanding things that we haven't been taught, and I think also understanding how the world operates. And I think I learning how are. to listen. I think learning how to listen <clears throat> is one of the most important things to experience as a human being, whether it's listening to your lover. And what their needs are, or listening to your friends and your family members, or listening to politicians spout bullshit, or listening to your favorite records. I think learning to listen is one of the most important skills to have as a as a conscious being. And uh, once you learn to listen properly, you also can learn to express yourself properly in a way that will cause other people to listen. And I think that music has taught me that more than
3: anything
0: else. Yeah.
3: Those were well, pretty pro- profound statements, guys. We really appreciate it. I'm really glad I got you guys on here.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be involved, and in, man, it's super cool to be well, involved in an episode where Rob is back on the show. Yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. I've been going into the bat catalog a lot, like especially during quarantining. I, I take a bath every day. I like draw a bath with a uh, with Epsom salt and put on some incense and. And put on comparin'. Yeah.
3: yeah, there you go. I, I like on, it. Hold on.
5: Hold
4: on. <laughs> Sir Fiel, you're not getting off that easy. What 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 does music mean to you? Oh,
3: oh. Yeah, we gotta hear we gotta hear the same from Chris. Yeah. And it's yeah. Been, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's been a large part of my life. Um, like I've alluded to, you know, I think for the I think I was the tail end of a generation that the entire cultural life was pretty much regulated um, by music. And within it were all these mysteries to to all kinds of ancient things and, and, and uh, worldly things too, and political things, and identity things. And um, when when I did my psychedelic experimentation, you know, my, my, er, uh, some of my earlier musical tastes from my childhood came back and I realized that a lot of what I was listening to was kind of this like social function based upon the subcultures I was associated with and things like that. So I got into just um, appreciating music for what it is and kind of trying to disconnect it from identity so much. Um, But it's, it's been a source of uh, it was a source of, you know, so much brotherhood, like I said, in the absence of these, uh, rites of passage of brotherhoods or fraternal organizations and things like that. Um, it, it is the thing that had, that fulfilled all those functions growing up. And, uh, it's, it's a window, it's a window into everything. So it's, it's one of the most important things in my life to this day. Uh, Chris, good.
2: I, what's from you, man?
3: Oh, I was
6: just going to say, just building off that, man, I mean, it's been the through line for this whole conversation we've been having over the past couple of hours. Music is magic, man. And whether it's a song you've heard or a song you've written or a song you've been a part of, it almost seems like a spell that uh, can do whatever you want. And it's just, uh, I don't know, I've, I don't want to ramble. It's just really something very, very special and very something,
4: something very mysterious. It should be anyway.
6: Yeah, yeah absolutely,
2: that it is. That it is. Okay, awesome guys, thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and close out the show, but before I do, I do want to. We'll close out the show. We'll do the whole and paranormal stuff. Uh, before I do, this is part one, and in the next episode, I guess we will kind of pick up where we left off and talk about the modern day. Talk about. I guess all of us here will be more versed in more like rock and roll and uh, rock music and, and all that. But we'll talk about some musical conspiracy theories, some weird unsolved murders, that type of thing, and uh, r- really get into the weeds on that. Um, so this was excellent. Um, so, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. I want to thank Joel, Chris, and Rob for being in. Surfiel as always. And also, Serfyl, thank you for putting this together, man. This has been a great discussion.
3: Hell yeah, I'm I'm very, very satisfied with this.
2: Yeah, great. Uh, so, guys, just a couple of quick notes. Um, Conspiranormal Patreon. If you want to become a patron, you can do so for as low as one dollar. We are doing weekly shows now on there. Sometimes with guests, sometimes with ourselves. Just like uh, last. The one we just did not too long ago was uh, with Rob and Surfiel and myself. And then we've had a couple with other couple of guests with recluse and with uh, Mark Anthony Wyatt in the past. So uh, we will have some more Patreon stuff on there. If you guys love the show, support us. Leave a review on iTunes. Give us a subs- subscription on YouTube. And thank you so much, guys. And we will be back next time. Dr. Future is going to join us on Conspirator.
0: Win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See betmgm.com for terms. Twenty-one plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER. Promotion. Promotional offer not available in Washington D.C